Greetings ladies, gentlemen, renters and homeowners. Welcome to Ramblin, an Amblin podcast. The podcast where we knock on the door of Amblin Entertainment and pray the whole thing doesn't come tumbling down in the process. <laughs> I am one half of your hosts, Andrew Godian. I'm the other half, Joshua Glenn. And this week we would love to welcome our guest onto the show, fellow movie podcaster, Griff from the Paul and Griff show. Welcome to Ramblin, Griff. Thank you for having me. How are you guys doing? Very well, thank you, my man. Not All too the better shabby. for having you here. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you guys at the Paul and Griff show, you've been uh, great supporters of ours from since we started. Pretty much regularly tagging us in a uh, follow Friday, so we're we're very happy to have you here to return some of the good faith that you've shown towards us. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely. Uh, if you're not too familiar with uh, the Paul and Griff show, uh, similarly to me and Josh, uh, two best mates chatting about things that they love, movies. Uh, it's one of the uh, podcasts that I discovered over my kind of lockdown experience of kind of consuming a lot of movie podcasts. And particularly once we knew that we wanted to start one, mm-hmm. I kind of went for similar vibes. And your show is one that I caught wind of. And I, I you guys do such a great job at establishing establishing a sort of vibe as if you you've kind of like walked into a pub com- pub conversation between you you two guys just chatting about your favorite movies uh, was that very much the kind of uh intention of uh putting it together and um, yeah pretty much the vibe was it was born out of lockdown so i was furloughed mm-hmm. um paul wasn't and we were chatting about movies anyway like while playing playstation so it was kind of like why don't we just record ourselves chatting about them because we both yeah. love movies and we don't have a a massive solid structure obviously we have like movie news then the film then we try to do a top six we're just trying to have a laugh like because we don't live near each other anymore we used to live like in the same kind of area but i moved away it's a good way also of staying in touch and um yeah born during the pandemic and um a year later we're still we're still we're, <laughs> a year later jesus christ yeah hopefully we're still, <laughs> Well, we're literally a year next week, so... Um... Wow. Congratulations. Have you got any, any big podcast plans for the year anniversary? <laughs> we are planning to um, do a whole kind of flipping the switch kind of. We're going to change things up. We're still going to be movie, but we've got some ideas and some plans that um, watch this space. Oh, boy. That's exciting That's tease. Exciting. Got to stay fresh. Well, we started with Disney musicals. We, tr- we, start- we tried to change things up a little bit. We did Disney mm-hmm. musicals. Then we did kind of dissected some classics and then we tried to do a little bit of fun where 
you'd name a film and depending who's in the film or you'd have to link to the other film but the other host wouldn't know what the other person's choosing yeah kind of went... <laughs> so um yeah, it's just a bit of fun and a nice little hobby. And if people listen, it's a massive bonus. Mm. <laughs> yeah, very, me- very much echo that sentiment. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, your most recent episode at the time of us recording this was uh, focused around Predator and Arnold Schwarzenegger movies, which is uh, something that is very near and dear to my heart. So I very much enjoyed that <laughs> recent offering. <laughs> Catnip to Mr. Gurdion. It's a classic. <laughs> yes, that hard cold classic. <laughs> Andy, have you done an impression of Arnie on this podcast yet? Um, I haven't. Uh, I, I suppose I could, <laughs> I could just throw one in now. Get to the jabber, man. <laughs> if it bleeds, we could kill it. <laughs> First of many, no doubt. Yeah, it's a shame that he doesn't crop up in the Amblin. That's the only thing that would make yeah. this run of movies perfect for me if somehow an Arnold Schwarzenegger. Steven Spielberg produced movie had got snuck into here somewhere. <laughs> There's still time. There's still time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now he's back. I can take the fake King Lear poster in the Lost World Jurassic Park and just run with it, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but before we get kicking off with our latest episode here, Griff, I just wanted to ask you the question, seeing as this is, is rambling an ambling podcast. Uh, what is it that you kind of think of when you hear the name Amblin? What's the sort of vibe and uh, atmosphere that kind of conjures in your mind when you hear that word? Uh, mainly Spielberg, really. Um, and obviously the classics like Jurassic Park and even though we about the money pit, I don't think a lot of people have seen it. I mm-hmm. don't think a lot of, I think a lot of people should. Um, obviously, Back to the Future, just, just solid movies. Colour Purple, which obviously I know you recently did. Just, just go to timeless classics. Like ET was like, look, I think it was around kind of when I was born, um, nineteen eighty two, and it's just strong and it's still going strong now. But say when you, I think the movies up to the nineties is probably like its most strongest. Mm -hmm. I don't think you probably probably don't feel ambling as much like later on, and you probably don't realise they are ambling movies. Yeah, but definitely like the early stuff is is the go to. And people should definitely um, check them out. Mm. Absolutely. Can I, um, speaking of E.T., since you brought it up, can I ask you a question relating to your personal response to E.T.? Um, do you cry at E.T.? Do I cry? Yeah. <laughs> I've not seen it in a long time, but no. I, I have oh, been known to cry. I have been known to cry. I have been known to cry at movies. I've cried. Yeah. Armageddon, Armageddon still pulls on the heartstrings. <laughs> <laughs> but um, E.T. is not one that. Um, no, probably more face. I'm not confused. alone. <laughs> it's a running poll with our guests. I, I'm an, I'm an easy cry. Andy is a tough cry, and uh, I weep. I bore buckets at ET. Andy didn't shed a single tear. So and you finally bit? found someone. What, what bit? Like when he when he's going I, home finally. Se- several times. The bit that gets me is when they um when they're running away from the FBI guys and they they're approaching the the blockade on the road and they all just take off and the music kicks in and. Oh boy, I'm gonna go now if I'm not careful. <laughs> oh yeah, but yeah. Anyway, that was that was just my own curiosity. I apologise for derailing things. I'm very intrigued to find out what part you cried at the money pit. <laughs> <laughs> for we should say we have invited Griff to talk about uh, the Tom Hanks Shelley Long starring comedy 
1986's The Money Pit, uh, directed by Richard Benjamin and, of course, produced by Amblin Entertainment. Uh, before we get into our kind of like previous connections with the film, uh, Mr. Joshua Glenn, would you unpack The Money Pit for us, please? Let's dig into this pit, shall we, boys? Um, so the Let's plot is that Tom Hanks plays Walter, a musician's attorney currently embroiled in cleaning up the mess made by his embezzling shitbag of a father. He's living with his classical musician girlfriend, Anna, played by Shelley Long. In a New York apartment, they're subletting from her ex-husband, Maestro Max Beisart, played by Alexander Gudinov, one of the die-hard heavies. Uh, mm, not, in, not in this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when Max returns home from Europe earlier than initially thought, Walter and Anna are forced to find a new place to live. And fast. Walter turns to his friend Jack, an unscrupulous realtor whom we meet eating a donut and then having a heart attack as he attempts to exercise. Jack has found a $1 million mansion upstate that is being sold for just $200,000 as part of a distress sale. In the midst of tying up their loose ends in New York City, the couple travel to visit the mansion, whereupon the owner, Estelle, played by Maureen Stapleton, tells them that she is fast-tracking the sale because her husband's been arrested for being discovered to, uh, to be a former Nazi, <laughs> and the blood-sucking lawyers are draining her financial resources. In a moment of wild 80s abandon and a misplaced sense of kismet, Walter and Anna decide to buy the mansion. Once they move in, though, they find that all is not what it seems, and the house has some skeletons in its closet. Sorry, raccoons in the dumbwaiter. <laughs> Pause for a laughter. One, two, three. Uh, as, the, as they employ more and more local contractors to rebuild this crumbling mansion, uh, put out the electrical fires, and generally minimise the chances of death, Walter and Anna feel an even greater strain on their precarious bank balance. And with Anna forced to turn to narcissistic Max for financial aid, there's soon a considerable strain on their relationship. Will they be able to disentangle the bureaucracy, overcome their romantic anxieties, and pull themselves out of the money pit? Love Very it. Good. Love Very it. Good. <laughs> uh, my favourite tagline I saw for this was, uh, for everyone who's ever been deeply in love, or deeply in debt. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I, I think this is the same for Josh. This was this is the first time I'd ever seen the the Money Pit, and it's not one I have mm. uh, kind of previous experience with. Um, and Griff, this was very much one that uh, you put in as a request, so I, I can I can safely assume it's one that you've grown up with. Yeah, I used to have it on video. I don't know if I'm showing my age here. <laughs> 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 so, I had it on video, and it's just a real good easy go between you know sometimes you just want a nice sunday movie to kind mm -hmm. of j just stick on and you just look up at the bits that you love and it's what was you watch obviously upgrade it to dvd i should say one obviously tom hanks is probably one of my favorite actors mm -hmm. and i don't think this gets the love that it deserves obviously if you two is the first time you're seeing it you may have hated it but, <laughs> but <laughs> But for me, obviously, when I heard about your show and I looked through the, through the list of the movies, I thought not a lot of people probably jump at the chance of the money pit. You probably got uh, loads of people asking for Jurassic Parks and Back to the Futures. But I thought, <laughs> oh, yes. I thought, <laughs> I thought, you know what, if I throw my name in for the money pit, I might come yeah. up good. Um, and, and here we are. <laughs> <laughs> here we are. Um, yeah, I just, just remember watching it as a kid and obviously I grew up watching like Lauren Hardy movies but like real slapstick things going wrong and stuff like that and it's kind of like a 90s bit of that where 
as you say, everything, everything that could go wrong just does go wrong. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're kind mm-hmm. of laughing at like their misfortune, really. But um, hey, who are we? Well, <laughs> 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 like, if it's too good to be true, it usually is. Yeah, <laughs> we should have been a tagline, really. If it's too good to be true, yeah, that's a much better tagline. Um, yeah, just just love it, and, it's, and it does have like probably Tom Hanks's best laugh in film. If you haven't seen it, you have to watch it just for yeah. just for his laugh. I think that was the the only thing that I had. I was I was very much aware of of this film was that I'd heard that Tom Hanks laugh before. <laughs> so, really, is that is that its legacy as far as you're concerned? Andy? Yeah, it's um. I've not been to the Universal Parks, but apparently they installed it on like the kind of tour guide buses. Whenever the tour guide would make a joke, they would just play the Tom Hanks seal laugh over the ah! <laughs> over the intercoms to cue laughter in the tourists. <laughs> I'm guessing future directors didn't like it because it doesn't appear in any other film ever. He's never been anything... called upon. Yeah, I've heard nothing quite like that laugh in in any media uh, before or since the money pit. So in his scripts, it must be like, laugh, not the money bit, laugh, please. Yes. <laughs> Somewhere below. We like the woody laugh, totally. please, not the money pit laugh. Totally, totally. Uh, was there anything, were you aware of it at all, Josh? Was there any kind of slight cultural tendrils that had kind of come into your I into think, your view at all? I think I, I, was, I knew the name as an, a sort of early Tom Hanks title. And I, th- I think maybe this is myself implanting a memory, but I feel like I recognise the VHS cover from the old video shop down the road when I was mm. a, a young lad. But yeah, maybe I've just implanted that having seen the poster. But um, no, very, very fragmentary, distant um, associations I have. Yeah. Can you think what the... It's just made me think off the top of my head now. Can you guys think what the first like Tom Hanks starring film that you saw would have been. So I'm, I'm going to discount Toy Story because oh, I feel like yeah. a lot of... <laughs> the first time you saw Tom Hanks' lovable mug on a screen. <laughs> makes it much harder without Toy Story. Probably big, probably, probably big for me. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Did you know that I'm named after Josh from Big? The, the character Tom I Hanks did played. not know that you are named after the character in Big. That's where my name comes from because I was going to be Daniel. This is... Sure, listeners don't really care. But yeah, I'm the, the Karate Kid. Is it Karate Kid or Big? <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> My parents had seen Karate Kid, then uh, a couple of years later they saw Big and thought, ah, oh, actually, no, no. This this will be our, our son's inspiration. I think it was probably Big for me as well that I saw Tom Hanks on screen first for. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about you? I've, I think I saw Splash before I saw Big. So that that must be an early one because I can always remember that that kind of being in a similar crop of films that would just pop up on Channel 4 or BBC yeah. on a weekend daytime. Um, so, yeah, I, I have quite vague recollections of seeing that quite young. Um, but uh, back in 86, when he was signed on to The Money Pit, he was, like, what, mainly known for his comedic roles. Yeah. and uh, Largely coming off the back of uh, Splash and Bachelor Party in 84. Um, which I can see r- really building into the kind of star image at this point in time as a, one of a comedic actor before later roles would see him transform into more of the kind of dramatic, all post-covered sort of mm-hmm. actor that we know him as today. I don't remember much about Bachelor Pie. I have seen it. 
because I thought I, I've got I've got to see it because it's one of his early things, but mm-hmm. no, mm-hmm. most of it. But yeah, I do remember Splash and obviously, as you say, I suppose Turner and Hooch was kind of comedy, The Burbs, um, Dragnet, yeah. and now he's now probably if he's in it, he's the film's usually nominated for an Oscar. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is to... Humble beginnings. Yeah, because <laughs> he's, he's kind of one of our foremost dramatic actors today. It's hard to imagine. It's strange to imagine that he began life as a, you know, from primarily a comedian. Even yeah. even like pre-film roles, mm. yeah, because he kind of cut his teeth in the sitcom uh, stage on TV. I think Bosom Buddies was his big show in the early eighties, and he had guest starred in uh, Happy Days and Family Ties. And I think it was off the back of his Happy Days appearance that Ron Howard was like, "This guy, I'm going to put him <laughs> in a movie." <laughs> <laughs> But uh, and also for me, it makes a lot of sense of the kind of image I have in my mind of Tom Hanks in '86 being this more comedic leading man, mm. um, because uh, the Money Pit is a is in fact a remake of a Cary Grant comedy from 1948. Mr. Blandings builds his dream house, uh, directed by H.C. Potter. So I can very much see the idea in Casting's mind to go like. Who who can we get for like our kind of equivalent Cary Grant figure? This Tom Hanks kid's doing well. He fits the bill in uh, a number of ways. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, if you are interested, uh, Mr. Blandings is on BBC iPlayer <laughs> to Certainly watch to compare is. with the Money Pit. <laughs> Indefinitely at this moment, right? It's one of those RKO classics that's mm-hmm. been dropped on there for a while. That's annoying. So I tried to find it on Amazon, and it's like wasn't wasn't there. I saw the trailer on YouTube. Oh, should have asked before. I'll try to like seek it out, but it's on iPlayer, is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a it's a pleasant little movie, isn't it? It's a sort of gentle little, very quaint late forties comedy. Very different beast to this, yeah. obviously, but it's it's nice. It's a very pleasant. Because the trailer looks nothing like this. Yeah. <laughs> I was trying to be like, okay, this is where have they got this from? This, um, and obviously it was remade again to. Are we there yet, or? Oh yeah, are, are we? Are we? Are we, are we done, done yet? Are we done yet? Are, we done are we there? <laughs> the lineage of this story is mad. Yeah, because <laughs> it like what started out as um, a writer writing a column on his own experience renovating a mm-hmm. renovating a house, um, which was then written by the same guy Eric Hodgins into a novel, which was then adapted into a Cary Grant movie. Which was then remade as a Tom Hanks movie and then remade as a Swedish movie in 1993. <laughs> <laughs> and then eventually an Ice Cube movie. <laughs> I only went as far as the money, but I didn't watch the Swedish version or the Ice Cube. Um, <laughs> are we there yet, sequel? <laughs> I think there's only so many home renovation narratives you can take in a week. <laughs> it almost became, you know how A Star Is Born has been remade every 20 or so years? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Mr. Blandings is almost that. <laughs> we were due for a new one. It really strikes me as an Adam Sandler-esque comedy <laughs> kind of set up, so maybe that could be part of the Netflix deal. Careful, if you say that three times in a row, it's going to happen, so be careful. <laughs> Don't tempt me. <laughs> Uh, for the Money Pit, uh, Spielberg, Marshall, and Kennedy tapped Richard Benjamin to direct it, uh, who began his career as an actor foremost, and he, he's in the likes of 1970s Catch Twenty Two, 
and uh, 1970s Free's Westworld, the original uh, Michael Crichton movie. And uh, after cutting his teeth in TV pilots, Richard Benjamin got his uh, feature debut with uh, 1982's My Favourite Year, which uh, starred Peter O'Toole in a role in which he was uh, nominated for an Oscar. And in between that, yeah, in between that and The Road to the Money Pit, he directed two other movies, the Sean Penn and Nick Cage starring drama Racing with the Moon in 1984, and a Clint Eastwood, Burt Reynolds buddy cop movie called uh, City Heat, both of which were commercial disappointments, yeah. which I think particularly for the Eastwood, Burt Reynolds movie, it was a bit uh, a crushing commercial disappointment <laughs> and he was a last minute replacement for blake edwards on that one as well apparently yeah so i wonder how that would that's hard out. having to be like step into a blake edwards movie in the yeah ninth hour <laughs> give us that give us the blake edwards thing please <laughs> okay <laughs> and uh to pair uh tom hanks up uh to fill up, fill up the romantic duo on the screen. Uh, Shelley Long was cast, who was probably best known at the time for her role in the hit, hit sitcom Cheers. She played Diane. Has anyone watched Cheers here? It's a, what, a sitcom that kind of passed me by. Oh, Cheers is a classic. Love yeah. It. And it's meant to have the best comedy pilot of all time, because comedy pilots are normally pretty dicey. But yeah, I've, I've heard... It's, it is weird that we haven't watched it as two comedy fans. You'd be really interested, mm. like Woody Harrison is. He doesn't mm. come into it till the second season, but um, he, he's great. It's very even like the intro music just gets you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I must admit, I've never seen it start to finish. I think you can just watch an episode. Mm-hmm. That, that, there's a much continuous storyline. Yeah, but it's just a real easy like, really easy like program to watch. Yeah, sounds like a nice. That would have been a nice lockdown project, actually. Damn it! <laughs> Save it for the next. Curses are. <laughs> careful, careful now. Careful now. Not <laughs> I didn't mean it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yes, despite her uh, uh, probably main uh, what people would have known her from the most being Cheers, she had already herself started to establish herself as a film star. Um, she starred in Ron Howard's Night Shift in 1982, alongside Henry Winkler and a young Michael Keaton. It was a film, in fact, that because she was committed to that, she had to turn down the role of Elliot's mum in E.T., which I thought was a fun little uh, <laughs> crossover tangent. <laughs> and um, before moving on to The Money Pit, she also starred alongside Tom Cruise in the 1983 comedy Losing It, and had been nominated for a Golden Globe for her role in 1984's Irreconcilable Differences. Again, neither film I've seen. This is my first exposure to mm. Shelley Long. Yeah, me too. Um, but clearly, clearly got the chaps, as the as they say <laughs> on the... <laughs> as you just said. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I've got... Oh, sorry. Go on, Griff. I was going to say, I think this is the only Shelley Long film I've seen. Hmm. Like, yeah. I'd probably know if Morph and Cheers, like, which plays the real stuck-up kind of woman in the bar. But just looking at her um, <laughs> filmography, um, this this is it. Yeah, is she in the Brady Bunch movies as well? I, I that's what I was going to say. I In my head, she's a Brady Bunch um, alumnus. Carol, Bra- Carol Brady. I've mm. never seen either. either no, me neither. That's a huge cultural um, 
mm. gap for me. But apparently, very funny. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> I've heard, I heard only good things about those Brady Bunch movies. In a movie called Pizza Man, which I'm interested in. Pizza Man. <laughs> <laughs> the man with the power of pizza. It's got my attention. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder what powers that would grant Pizza you. Man, tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody wants a slice of you. That's your power. It's a good little, good little tagline. <laughs> there we go. Everyone Griff. wants a slice of you. <laughs> Griff, we've created two great taglines in this in this podcast so far. <laughs> See how many you can finish. Right? <laughs> yeah, what, what else can we fix? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, behind the camera, you say Benjamin was working from a script written by David Gilner, who was best known at the time for having written 1974's Parallax View, 77's Fun with Dick and Jane, and for producing Ridley Scott's Alien in 1979. Uh, Gilner himself would go on to produce the rest of the franchise, and he even has a story credit in uh, James Cameron's Aliens as well. So, so it's a weird, weird pedigree to lead mm. to a Cary Grant remake. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, also behind the camera, Benjamin hired... Um, renowned cinematographer Gordon Willis mm-hmm. to shoot the Madcap Proceedings. Um, Gordon Willis, for those of you who may not be too familiar, is the cinematographer behind such like kind of cinematic hallmarks as uh, Godfather Trilogy, direct, uh, shot all three of those. Mm-hmm. He also shot All the President's Men and is known for his uh, collaborations with Woody Allen as well. Yeah. Perhaps most notably Annie Hall in Manhattan. So this is like the creme de la creme yeah. of your cinematographers. If you look, <laughs> look at his filmography, it's scattered with Coppola and Allen and Pakula and even Kirshner, who did a few of his films as well. And then in the middle of it all, you've got the money pit in the mid-80s. It's been it's a very, very strange outlier. And he does he, he does bring a, a real sense of craft to it. A lot, a lot of the shots in this film, I thought, ooh, mm. that is a very nicely expressive, nicely composed image there, which is not what I was expecting from a film. It's a sort of pseudo screwball remake. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that dimension was very nice. Now he, de- he definitely still brings it. Like mm-hmm. this may have been like the you could think of this as just being like, oh, this is just a summer project where I can stay in New York for yeah. for a few months. <laughs> but no, he does not does, phone this one in. Does not phone it in. Does old Golden Willis. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the the production of uh, the Money Pit was uh, delayed to begin with due to uh, Shelley Long had not long given birth before the scheduled production start date, and the issue of finding a house proved to be a bit of a problem. So a, a number of these things, including the kind of um, arduousness of the practicalities of shooting this thing, pushed the film back from a Christmas '85 release to uh, spring. 86. The house that was eventually located was the Ridder Mansion, which is located on the north shore of Long Island. Uh, the house had belonged to uh, the family for which the Knight Ridder News Syndicate had been named and was in a similar sort of state of kind of unkeptness on the inside, despite looking like a million bucks on the outside. So very much fit the bill um, for finding a house where the owners themselves were willing to have it partially demolished in front of filming. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, during the filming, apparently Mrs. Ritter did turn up to uh, pay the set a visit and was a bit shocked to see what kind of state of disrepair that the house was in during shooting, but uh, was re- repeatedly told by Richard Benjamin that it'll be all, all be fine by the end of it. <laughs> it'll <laughs> so, be fine, it'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> ignore this! <laughs> in a weird case of kind of um, art mirroring reality, um, after the f- after the film had been shot, the house was purchased by uh, a couple um, who invested um, nearly six million dollars in renovations for the house. After um, spending two just over two million to buy it in two thousand two, and during the <laughs> during that point where they had started the renovations and put it back on the market, it was a very long drawn out process, and from the initial twelve and a half million price tag that they put it on the market for, uh, the property underwent about seven price drops uh, before being sold for around three and a half million in twenty nineteen. So that's that a massive not... loss of inflation. That's, that's a, mass... a massive <laughs> loss. <laughs> <laughs> Just could not shift the real life money. Piece. <laughs> I mean, considering the, I think the, the top end of the the dream house in Mr. Blandings was what, I think twenty thousand dollars in nineteen forty eight. That's a huge, huge increase. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> wow. You can see you can see some pictures of it still up on the like, kind of website listings, and it does look very nice. It does look like they did a very nice job, <laughs> but I can't imagine they were too happy no. for three and a half million that it eventually Jeez. went for. Uh, the film itself, which was released in the US in March 86, uh, re- released in May in the UK, um, was a slight commercial and critical disappointment. Uh, it earned $55 million off a $10 million budget, so while still a return, I think after um, Hanks having had the hits he had with Splash and Bachelor Party and Shelley Long being the recognised household name, um, I think they probably would have been hoping for something a, a bit more mm-hmm. uh, successful than than that. And um, to give you a sense of the critical reception at the time, Roger Ebert uh, notoriously hated it. Uh, he gave it one out of one out of four stars, um, stating that one gag does not a comedy make. And if the time spent on the characters had been spent on building the house, they might have really had something in the money pit. Which might be harsh. harsh. (laughs) Impossible man to predict. I, I, for some reason, I, I fell down a Home Alone rabbit hole recently. Regular occurrence for me. He gave Home Alone three three stars and said it was better than the first two. (laughs) You cannot call where Ebert will fall on the scale. (laughs) (laughs) So I think that's quite a good point to start to get into some of our own. Uh, reactions to this film because um, I I likewise think Ro- Roger Ebert was being a bit harsh there because I don't know quite what he was expecting in a kind of like screwball comedy of uh, going into a, a, a blockbuster release for a major studio, studio in 86 but uh, for, the, for the most part I found this quite a um, pleasingly silly um, way to um, mine an hour and a half um compared to kind of like other 
Hanks comedies I'd seen in the 80s. So, like, the aforementioned Splash and Big. Um, I, I, I probably wouldn't put it on a similar sort of level to how I consider those films to be, but it was still it was still one that I very much um, enjoy, enjoyed a lot more than I thought I was going to, particularly after kind of reading a bit more into, as you've said, Griff, it's got kind of this history of not being particularly well um, well regarded. So I, I was pleasantly surprised by how much I kind of enjoyed its very weird, random, goofy approach to slapstick. <laughs> I'm going to be the asshole, I think, on this episode. <laughs> here we go, here we go. <laughs> no, but I mean, it was, I, I quite enjoyed the, the Rube Goldberg setups, which I'm guessing we'll talk about probably in greater detail. I, I quite enjoy... I like traps in films, hence the Home Alone obsession. And it's rare that you see uh, this many kind of trap and trap-esque setups in a film. So I do enjoy how one thing can lead to another. Like, I quite like how uh, Shelley Long searching for a place to block a kettle in leads to Hanks falling in paint, which leads to him knocking the scaffolding down, which leads to a statue of a little boy weeing on his head at the end. <laughs> it's quite it's quite fun, that kind of mousetrap-esque construction, but... I found the whole thing a little flat and the energy was not quite there for me. And um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, much like the 1948 original's name, I found it a little bland, personally. Oh, I see, I see what you did there. Which, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I have to say, the, the, the one moment that got an, an unmitigated belly laugh from me was... <laughs> When Tom Hanks is trying to get the permits sorted out and he calls up the permit guy and he's walking around the room and then suddenly you see him just start to sink and it's a sublime piece of, of uh, physical comedy from Tom Hanks and he's just like quickly flailing his head around and he goes rah, 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 as he's trying to figure out what's going on. <laughs> that part absolutely killed me and that's the gift that I think uh, you tweeted out for the film, Andy. Um yesterday or earlier on today <laughs> and that was a fabulous bit but um but man yeah i mean don't let me be a naysayer griff how did you, how did it play for you watching it again this time for the umpteenth time i just really enjoy it i can see how it's not a masterpiece there's films you love that you know aren't mm. great if that makes sense yeah um, yeah. yeah yeah and it's just it, I find the music really fun in it. Like I'm living yeah, in a I dream. Like really, really cheesy. Like <laughs> it's, just, it's just it's just everything that goes wrong. He's just waiting for it to happen. Yeah. And like he's, he's bashing the door, and he's like, okay. And then he fixes the door. Oh, it's okay. It's okay. And he closes the door, and the frame rather than the door then collapses. <laughs> and it's just like it's okay. I'll fix that. I've only got one pair of hands. You <laughs> 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 just. I don't. I really enjoy um, Alexander Goodenough um, in it. He's so oh, contrast yeah. to Die Hard. Yeah, it's unbelievable. But he really does steal. It's, it's crazy to think someone can steal this, this the scene from Hanks. But he's just real like charismatic kind of asshole. Really, <laughs> <laughs> he's got an energy, hasn't he? He's got. He's definitely got a comic energy that he's bringing to this. Yeah, and uses that kind of like masculine swagger to mm-hmm. like quite good comedic effect to really sell the arrogance of uh the character uh <laughs> you gotta have a good 80s douchebag in your 80s comedy <laughs> and he's a good 80s douchebag <laughs> oh, yeah, very very good um 80s douchebag um 
it's just it's just easy to watch. As I say, I can get how people probably isn't aged great. Like watching now, there's probably been so much just like been done before. I say Home Alone with traps and mm. the house being chaos. But I suppose because I've kind of grew up with it, it's mm. just one of those. Oh my god, the money pits on. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll, if I'm flicking channels, there are films that sometimes you're like. No matter where you are in the film, oh, I'll leave yeah, yeah. this is this this is this is this is all right. Like this, the kitchen's about to go up in fire. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta wait for that. I get that, man. I completely get that. And and what the one of that is like that for me is which this film reminds me a lot of is Crocodile Dundee, which I believe was the same year as this. And that's a film. It's, film. it's got yeah, it's <laughs> got a similar energy to this, and it's another film that I think anybody watching now might struggle to get purchase on. And again, that has aged very poorly in certain places, but by God, it's one that I love, regardless of you know of how much time <laughs> might move on, and so, yeah. So I think the tone of this and the sort of general vibe reminded me of that quite a bit. So yeah. I, I do very much understand how um, you know your connection to these things can can definitely keep them going for you over the years. It's like the cameos. I think of the one of the guys like structural workers is like the cop in Three Men and a Baby. Mm. The same kind of people. I didn't realize like the guy who sells it, Jack, um, who sells in the um, the house in the end. Yeah. I didn't realize until literally watching this and looking into the actors, he's the. Have you ever seen Big Daddy with Adam Sandler? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the guy in the office with the kid, obviously without the beard and all that. He just looks completely different, (laughs) and it's just. (laughs) And obviously, Maureen, the lady who sells the house, is in Cocoon. Just, just an eighties roll call of like. Oh yeah, I loved her in this. Yeah, her. I probably the biggest laugh for me was uh, the line where Shelley Long's consoling her over her husband having just gone gone away, and she just comes out <laughs> comes out with the line of um, "You think you know someone, and one day Israeli intelligence just comes knocking on the door." Just the randomness of that line followed by he was Hitler's poor man just really it was not the kind of random kind of scattershot gag that I thought I was going to be expecting in this and I, I was just I was kind of slightly bowled over by just how weird it was that it kind of charmed me <laughs> the only thing disturbed me watching this was I was obviously watching a bit of close eyes when you're talking about it for a podcast yeah is there's a scene where Shelley Long and Tom Hanks are going up a ladder with some water. Yeah. And his eyes is just purely on her ass. I literally <laughs> like, like, it's fine, honey. It's fine. Honey. You've never seen Tom Hanks look so creepy. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I'm not even in a rush to get up the ladder. Like, it's fine. <laughs> Take your time. It's fine. It's weird because he, he's um, such a charming, charismatic, lovely guy, but he's, he's, you so rarely think of him as a sexual being, so it's weird to see him in a role <laughs> in which he is a semi-adjacent like, sexual being. Like the scene when <laughs> when they're humping, when the house is being constructed, and the builders are by the window just watching them in bed, just doing their thing. <laughs> Thomas, like, Dad! Dad, stop it! Stop it, Dad! No! Get to work! <laughs> <laughs> I I think the thing that like also impre- like caught caught me slightly off guard was like the amount of like what are clearly really dangerous stunts being performed throughout it with physical human beings and physical sets collapsing on each other and causing and and causing that Rube Goldberg 
mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> sequence of events to occur. I was like, there were a number of sequences where I was like, oh yeah, this looks ge- genuinely dangerous. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> I think particularly that scene where it, uh, it's not long after they've moved in and they think they're starting to kind of work through the kinks of it. They're bringing the water up to mm-hmm. fill the bath after the taps aren't working and splurging. And um, it's seen where they've already figured out the cooker works and that's great. Something actually works. And then Hanks goes down to, and he just literally turns on the light mm-hmm. switch in the kitchen and causes that <laughs> chain reaction of a flame going up the wall and melting the blender and blowing up the TV and culminating in uh, the electrical line hitting the kitchen and uh, projectiling a, roast turkey across the length of the front of the yeah. house <laughs> and landing in the bathroom. I was like, yep, I like that gag. Yeah. I like this sort of gag. I like what you're doing. <laughs> and then it's, it's just after that when Tom Hanks goes to Shelley Long, who's trying to fill the bath up, and they fill it up with water and it there's a beat, then it plummets through the ground, and that is when the laugh happens, right? The <laughs> horrible and it goes on for ages horrible it really sound. laughs it really laughs in her face <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's a good solid like 20 to 30 seconds of just this one shot looking up <laughs> it's like I've got to laugh or I'll go crazy I've got to laugh or I'll yeah. go crazy I can't believe it it's a perfect beat that really like his is, his is a very good performance that sells the exasperated nature of this whole thing. They, they're they both very good at that. Mm. And particularly like paying it off in sort of scenes where the whole construction's been dragged down, dragged out so long and the kind of sweet, sweet, unfiltered joy that they both experience when they see that the stairs are working and the water's running clear. They're, they're very good at selling that kind of like the high key of the comedy in those in those moments. I feel yeah, the big relief, and they say until they ask, like, "When's it going to be done?" Two weeks. <laughs> Every time they ask, yeah. about a couple of weeks. I just how much money did extra we have to borrow? Obviously, you borrowed two hundred grand initially yeah. and bought the house. I don't know. Like, obviously, she gets a little like she sells a painting and. Yeah, he, yeah. He, he must be in no, debt. Like, he must be massively price, in debt. Price tag. Yeah. Yeah, I just kind of think because the um, in in the in Mister Blandings, the original, there's quite a, a continuous inventory of the the um, surplus sur- surplus costs they're incurring throughout, and you can sort of keep track of just how much it's going out of um, out of control. Whereas in this, it's a little bit, it's not quite as clear cut, is it? How much money have they spent? Mm. How much? How much time has passed? Is it? There's a time jump. That's what four months? Is it? Yeah, there's a, like a four months? month time jump at one yeah, point. Yeah. yeah. And how much money? How much money have they got to spend? Like, yeah, there's, no yeah. there's, there's no furniture. It's all like, oh, it's all done. Relief, like, yeah, yeah. We got, we got, we got to fill these rooms now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so I know at one point she sells one of the paintings that she got in the divorce to Max for a hundred grand, and then does she ask? Does he give her more? It's unclear. I suppose whether he gives her more. Where does Tom Hanks? Because Tom Hanks has not very much money to begin with. Where does he get his money from? Yeah, yeah, he's, yeah in, he's in debt with his dad. His dad's left him like yeah, a, yeah, a, a hell of a lot of debt. But I think he's been good to obviously he gets. I'm guessing he does keep the check for the band. Yeah, the, like the, don't yeah, the guy like, says don't pay him back. They won't know. They're used to people stealing from you. Um, yeah. He gets two 
talked to Graham from Benny, which is a really weird scene. In the middle of all this movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, what a I, I won't like you. Yeah. <laughs> okay, here's 200. You don't. Here's 200 grand. I won't like you. With his maid slash servant slash mother. Weird, weird <laughs> little scene. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a lot of, uh, like, all the kind of, like, set up character relationships around the central idea of just this dream house falling around you. All, all of them are really weird. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, even the whole set up and it's almost treated as the kind of like bookends of his dad running away from debt and yeah. marrying and then falling into his own own money pit come the end yeah. it's like they're just really weird details that just are designed to i guess just to slightly overcomplicate the layers of it whilst aiming for that kind of r- ridiculous nature to balance the screwball by mm. having these kind of because it is strange that he represents a child rock star. <laughs> <laughs> and is his first port of call for debt? <laughs> yeah. I'll be your friend. <laughs> <laughs> and it is one thing that struck me um, about this, again, to go back to Blandings. Blandings is quite a straightforward meat and potatoes, classic Hollywood comedy. You've got the first act that kind of... Um, contextualizes their decision because in, in the original it's their decision to move to the country they're not forced out like they are in this one and the first mm. act kind of shows the incremental new york city annoyances that make them decide ah i've had it with this i'm going to move to a, a country house in connecticut and then the middle act of that is some mild hijinks nowhere near on the scale of this but you know dalliances with local contractors and and sort of um, verbal sparring and that kind of stuff and then the final act, uh, not dissimilar to this, is this infidelity plotline um, with the wife mm. of Cary Grant and her former lover, who is also now Cary Grant's best friend. Um, whereas this is very much, within the first 10 minutes, I think, we have them being kicked out of the New York flat, don't we? And then they have to immediately run and find alternative lodgings. And, and the vast majority, I'd say a good, uh, what what's the runtime, like 90 minutes, a good... Um, 50 yeah. plus minutes of this is the probably even more is the the height that sort of tomfoolery and the hijinks around the house being constructed it's um it's weird how or it's interesting how differently it's weighted the original versus this one and then on top of that you've got the motivations for the characters so in the original it's a it's a an active choice that carrie grant and his wife make whereas in this one it's a reactive choice which is quite an interesting change you know, mm. like uh, I, I wondered how that might have commented on the time. Like the originals, very much playing into post-war prosperity and you know the risk to reward ratio of following your dream. Whereas this, in the context of I guess eighties greed and, and yuppieism, um, trying to stay afloat amidst all of that as a, a struggling young professional. Um, yeah, I don't know. Just an observation. Mm. I do need to watch it. There is that line from Hanks near the start where he's describing that he just wants to have that kind of idea of a perfect life with his mm-hmm. girlfriend and settling down in a house with two kids, maybe four. And that's kind of, it's the same sort of extension of that idea in the original Mr. Blandings as well as just kind of going out to achieve what you deem to be the um, absolute American ideal yeah. and kind of not not really spending too long to think about what the practicalities of that actually entail yeah 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 and then finding out the hard way what it what it takes to maintain and fill in that image 
Yeah. And the strain that puts on personal relationships. Because another thing that was interesting that's carried over is the adultery storyline. And particularly with a with a the former lover of uh, of the wife's character. Yeah, this is his real eighties douchebag move, uh Max the uh, <laughs> yeah. monkey yeah. <laughs> European conductor. because um, he, he kinda instigates what is basically emotional abuse and manipulation oh, yeah. to convince yeah, to, to convince Shelley Longzana that um she slept with him when she got drunk one night, causing her him cause it making her kind of reevaluate her relationship with water and a desperate plea to get her to come back to him. Um that that was a beat that was felt very weird for me in a kind of weird way that it's that is Max's actions kind of shrugged off to the point where uh come the kind of resolutions at the end where they uh Hanks and Long's characters do get married. He's he's a guest at the wedding conducting Ode to Joy for them for their <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I was like, why are you there? <laughs> but it's one of those 80s things where you, you pan across the audience of the wedding and every everyone we've met along the way in the film is there. <laughs> like the, the little boy yeah. Benny is there with his maid servant mum. <laughs> and that band, Meryl Streep, Debbie Reynolds or whatever they call themselves, they're also there. And, you know. like, let's get everyone all in one place for the <laughs> yeah. final shoot. Let's just throw in the wedding. Instead, they're going to marry. Like, this will do. And then after, we'll just... The drinks can start. Well, the yeah. drinks can start while we're filming. Perfect. You're in, you're in, char- you're in character. Definitely, <laughs> yeah. But that was a fun rap party. Oh, yeah. in the house. Oh. But yeah, it's, it's the whole, like, as you say, manipulative, like, pretending. I suppose it's good that he does come around. He does actually admit, even in his own arrogant way, that, like, oh, you didn't really, like, sleep with me. But, like, well, you can be with me now, yeah? <laughs> <laughs> That's how this will work, right? <laughs> easy easy trade-off. It's just really someone just winds you up. Even like he comes back and he's completely like, doesn't respect his whole like quiet, his orchestra. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, it also does, obviously, going back like, doesn't explain, obviously they come in, obviously they're in bed and he's back, you're out and all that. How far between that and they move in? Like, where did they stay? Mm. Yeah, that's a, that's, a, that's a very good point. Because I wondered that too, because how I, much I time passes. That. Yeah, yeah. I think they must... I think the implication is that they have just been living in the middle of this building site the whole time. Because <laughs> she's like, when they go back, like, oh, can you close the deal tomorrow? It has to be tomorrow. It has to be tomorrow. So at least there's a day where they, they're not staying. Mm. They've got nowhere to stay. <laughs> I'm guessing got a mate with a couch in Long Island. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I guess for the timeline, they were only beginning out for a year. Like, yeah. I think, and I think the breakup. He goes to Europe, and she meets him, and decides to stay in his place, and decide to not look for a place. We'll just stay here. Very weird setup. It's a weird setup. Yeah, (laughs) because it's implied that she knew. Because he comes back, I think, a fortnight earlier than he was supposed to be. But it's still she knew that he was coming back soon, and she still made no plans to find an. Or they made no plans to find alternative lodgings. It's a very strange. And they said it's hard enough to find a place like yeah. with, with with money. We don't have any. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so because we'll, even you know to to go from that mindset to oh let's spend two hundred grand on this one million dollar mansion. I mean, it's a massive reduction from the original from the house value, but 
200 grand's still a lot of people that have no money. When you move with someone, it's just you and someone else, like, oh, this place is too big just for mm-hmm. us to do work. And then maybe we've got kids coming, like, this is like a, a six-bedroom. <laughs> but like, I guess if I guess if you argue, you get opposite places. Yeah, opposite yeah. <laughs> yeah. My only uh, justification for buying that big of a house is that uh, Tom Hanks clearly has not established personal boundaries with his clientele as a, a music lawyer. There's just so many band members and actors that just keep turning up at their front door when they're living in that yeah, flat. Yeah, so, yeah. I can, so I can only assume that he's getting this bigger house to better accommodate these people that just won't leave him alone. <laughs> kind of going back to, um, we, we mentioned him in the production notes at the top there. Uh, what what do you think, Like I know you said about um, you were quite impressed with how much he doesn't phone it in. Was, is there anything in this film that kind of from a Gordon Willis cinematography perspective is the kind of key image view that really sticks out as uh, something that um, feels a bit more elevated than you would expect for mm. a comedy of this kind. Yeah, there were three that I made a particular note of. There's, there's the one when, um, when is it Anna or Anna, sorry, the Shirley Long character? Anna. When, Anna. When Anna first goes to Max to ask for more money and there's a shot of them in the auditorium and the top half of the frame is the white stage that's kind of winding down and the bottom half of the frame is the, the darkened seating area and in the middle of like bang in the middle of the shot you've got um max and anna walking towards the camera and it's the balance of that shot and and the, and the sort of um the the um the composition of it is just so pleasing to the eye and it's, it's you know it's much more it's just almost more expressive than a film like this needs to be you've got the other one when mm. um it's a shot it's i think two thirds of the way through when Tom Hanks is in a cab covered in lights driving towards the house, and it's a, a dark shot, which obviously Gordon Willis is famous for his use of shadow and darkness. And in the bottom of the frame, you've got this muddy puddle that sits in front of the house. And at the top of the frame, coming towards the camera, bang in the middle, is this taxi cab that Tom Hanks has been driven in. This is covered in flashing lights, and the lights are reflected ultimately oh, yeah. <laughs> in the puddle. And again, it's, it, it's like the, the, the flimsy facade of... You know the, the of the American Dream, and then you have the illumination of the m- muddy puddle. That's the reality of it. And then the final one that I think is the kind of embodiment of the film as a whole is is it? It's just after she comes back from Max when she thinks she's slept with him, and and she's made dinner for him, and they've got one corner of the room that's made up for eating dinner together. And there's a shot where I think it's kind of the, the top right of the image is them sitting at the table talking. And the rest of the image is, is kind of negative space that's made up of the dilapidated house that's still very much under construction. And I think that's kind of the the the, the image of the film mm. is the the unbalanced shot and how massively out of their depth they are, and just how much the house is overwhelming their relationship. And you know the fact that there is enough to talk about in the shots of the film, let alone the sort of the the, the movement or the the more comedic aspects. I think it's a huge testament to what Willis brings to it. There's so much expression just in the image mm. alone before you even get to the performances or the, the score or the dialogue. So that's kind of what, what really did it for me. And there's, there's plenty more examples of that. Uh, like Towards the end when they're walking around the house and having their argument and the, the construction workers are following them around and the framings of those shots. And, um, and even like the very, very final scene when they reconcile, which 
didn't so I didn't quite feel that emotionally but in the shot itself the way it's balanced and the way you know Willis captures those compositions um I appreciated that very much on visual sense yeah <laughs> do you do yeah, I was going to highlight the the the, the ta- as you say the, the lights and the taxi mm-hmm. it could just be a normal taxi and that's that, yeah. that shot is quite um quite good and also the those Hell's Angels, the workers yes. with the mist. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a kind of Mad Max approach on the horizon. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, yeah. It just, I just say, it's just, just a comedy, guys. We haven't got to do all this. Yeah. No, this will this will be great. This will be great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, again, that that scene is a bit that I just found like just so funny for how w- weird it was because there's just so many like oiled up buff men just walking <laughs> around all of a sudden coming in on this massive cloud of hell's angels <laughs> yeah i think uh an- another shot for me that i was like oh i really li- like really like the way that this has been constructed is um their first night sleeping in the house mm. when they've set the mattress up yes on the floor yes, 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 yes. and um they turn the lamp off and plunge it into darkness and then uh, you just hear them talking and in the darkness, which is kind of like your, quite a classic like screwball uh, technique for couples uh, having their um, domestic disputes. And then the lightning keeps flashing as it builds up to uh, the sound of rain getting louder mm-hmm. and louder. And then you just see this curtain of rain come falling down over uh, where they're sleeping. And just that kind of, again, it's the attention to the, light in the dark and how that can be used to um construct uh, a level of comedic yeah. tension of both in what they're saying and what you're kind of expecting the house to do next it's it, it's very good at uh creating that sort of those sort of framings where you are just kind of darting looking around where uh what space is being offered to you in the house at the minute and just speculating okay okay which bit is going to go hey yeah why? yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it shows what value a good cinematographer can be, um, and just how he's just mad that Gordon Willis shot this movie like a, a silly mid eighties comedy with this Gordon Willis heft at its centre. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's a Spielberg brand when you when it's, it's uh, is, yeah the, the power of it at the at this at this juncture. Yeah, coming off Colour Purple as well, uh, the heavy year that was 85, which finally we're out of now with this. Um, yeah, <laughs> I suppose that makes sense. Another thing I wanted to ask as well was, I'm guessing, Andy, did you watch this on uh, Amazon Prime? I did. And Griff, you've got the DVD. I've got the DVD, but I did re-watch it on Prime. Did, okay, what, did, what certificate is it on DVD? Ooh. Do you know? Because on 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 Prime, as you turn it on in the top left, it says the rating and the reasons for it, and it just struck me as particularly conspicuous. Rated fifteen for sexual content, drug use, foul language, and nudity. And I saw that and thought, okay, this is a bit of an interesting direction for Amblin's first film following its flag- flagship year. I wonder how bad it's going to be. And I I don't recall, apart from a little bit of goofy humping with the builders watching. Uh, no sexual content, no drug use from what I can recall, no foul language apart from the occasional maybe shit and son of a bitch, and no nudity either. So I just... Is there an uncut version, perhaps? Or is... is... 
It's showing 15 on Amazon. Mm. On Amazon. Like the DVD yeah. is showing 15, and the Blu-ray randomly is showing 12. That's, it's just mad. Because I, uh, I looked into the reclassification makes sense. Yeah, which I looked I, into the history of this, and it was released in the UK with cuts as a PG. Then when it was released on home video, uncut, quote unquote, it was a 15. And I think it's since been reclassified as a 12 for all subsequent releases. But on Amazon it was 15. Yeah, and, and just the, the specifications for it being 15 do not seemingly relate to this film because it's, 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 <laughs> it's such a mild film in that regard. I was, I was, yeah, I wondered if I'd missed something perhaps. Yeah, early DVDs are like 12. Maybe it's changed to 15 recently. Um, yeah, it's really weird. There's no swearing really no. in it. There's no... There's no I, I, I watched it as a kid. Yeah, Lots yeah. Of my parents. It's are, very. My parents are like, you, you, you can't watch this. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't really know. You don't see any nudity. Not that. I... No, no. Yeah. It's it's just a, a, a relatively gentle, pleasant. You know. I wonder experience. if it's one of those cases where they're just like, well, clearly, only they they they're thinking is adults are going to be the only people to relate to this comedy about. Uh, home renovations so that it's might be them <laughs> them themselves as a certification board just going oh we'll pigeonhole it yeah, <laughs> yeah. maybe the boilerplate 15 specs are sexual content drug use foul language and nudity they just <laughs> stamp that on all 15s <laughs> this is about adult problems <laughs> I'll, I'll have to dig out the dvd because i bought it years ago yeah before yeah any of these changes mm. and um yeah, it doesn't scream a 15 to me. No. No, and it's crazy because some 18s years ago are now 15s yeah. now because obviously an 18 back then is nothing now. Yeah. So for that to go up an age, up the age <laughs> scales is just a bit sense. weird. It's, they're always... Ch- uh, Crocodile Dundee was a 15 as well, which is another, I get to bring to return to Mr. Dundee. Which uh, again, there's, there's there's a little bit of drug use. Is that bit when the guy's doing lines of cocaine and Mick Dundee thinks that he's got a sore a sore throat, so he puts it in the bowl and puts a towel over his head and he inhales the fumes. And then there are prostitutes as well. But you know that pro- that's probably got some race kind of stuff. That's probably got some stuff that probably isn't okay. Like <laughs> there's a lot nah, in that movie that nah. is not okay these days. Yeah, it's got. I'm still all, waiting to see his new movie. All he's got some homies. new movie coming out that I think is already out in America. Yeah, like Paul Hogan. Oh, the one where he plays himself. Plays himself. The fabulous Mick Dundee, or the 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 wonderful Mick Dundee, something like that. No, this is Paul Hogan. This is, like, this, this is like Paul Hogan's like this quickly, Josh, um, with this film out. <laughs> Paul Hogan has a has like a, a film coming up where like he gets recognised as Crocodile Dundee, but yeah, more. It's called the the very excellent um, Mr. Dundee, apparently. Also starring John Cleese and Chevy Chase. <laughs> and Olivia Newton-John. Getting his old pals back together. And Wayne Knight. Yeah, I, I don't from think Seinfeld. he's married with her. Reg, Reg, Reginald Val Johnson. This is mad. So that can be a bonus pod episode, yeah. perhaps. <laughs> we get the I'm not doing a bonus Crocodile Dundee episode. Dope. <laughs> 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 This is as much as I'm letting you <laughs> You haven't told me off yet for talking about it so much. I'm surprised. <laughs> Were you guys disappointed you didn't see the full finished house? In a, yes, mm. yes. That's a very good question, actually. Because you see these two lovely rooms that, like, 
you said, Josh, they do, it's quite a, a well designed again a well designed shot where mm. they've split that where they they're kind of haven't quite reconciled yet and they're both in the two separate spaces of the house. One's a bit more uh, kind of pastel pink lit for her side, and one's a bit more uh, blues and whites for his side. And you got like these kind of glimpses of a beautiful tiled parlor room and a and the big staircase, but you don't get to see what like the, the bathroom or the bedroom where we've been spending all our time <laughs> yeah. for throughout most of this movie. Do you think they just ran out of the soundstage? Or... <laughs> yeah, they so show us the bedroom. Go. They show us the bedroom. Like, yeah. That would have been nice to see the finished. Like, no, nah, but they've got to spend time to show us, I suppose you say, the bookends, the end bit where the dad is buying a house from the, the lady at the beginning of the movie. Mm. Very random bookend. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Everyone gets their comeuppance, I suppose, isn't it? 80s greed. Yeah, cause I'm just imagining how how well you could have that reconciliation, at least kind of on an imagery level, be a bit more backed up than just picking up the key on the stairs by them seeing the bedroom together and then having that beat of being like, oh, we did this together, we should see it through mm-hmm. together. It feels like a very easy visual cue that they... I can only <laughs> assume they ran out of time. <laughs> But again, a lot of these 80s like films of this ilk, the, the final, there's kind of an act rushed into five minutes at the end. You know, like, uh, mm, yeah. Again, Crocodile Dundee, the whole thing about <laughs> um, the Baxter character and, and Crocodile Dundee. You get one more. This is my, you get this, one this is my more. final one. <laughs> the, whole, the whole sort of rush to the airport esque ending of Crocodile Dundee is done in about five minutes, the whole romantic rivalry thing with, with um, you know. So it's, it's a, w- a weird thing that they kind of rush through there emotional climaxes these movies it made me think of um the first emblem entertainment movie quite a bit as well john belushi's continental divide and the way it plays out its uh romantic relationship within the kind of template of the screwball Mm -hmm. very much having the the well of origin as it were being this kind of 30s 40s approach to comedy um and I think I probably slightly prefer the Money Pit to Continental Divide, just just because I think the uh, level of kind of scale and madness that's thrown in the cocktail is slightly more 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 endearing to me than it was be- bewildering in the <laughs> in the case of Continental Divide. Baffling <laughs> little movie, but yeah, I made the same note. I think it's kind of got that, particularly the scene when they're walking around the house arguing and the builders are following them. It's got the pitter-patter of a kind of, like you say, 40s screwball. But much like in that case, it's directed by someone that doesn't quite get the rhythms, I think. And, and it comes across as a little bit flatter than, you know, the Spencer Tracy's and Kathleen Hepburn's do. Have you seen Continental Divides, Griff? I haven't. I'd have to um, check that out. So, yeah, it's a, I've seen, seen most like of the um, Amblin The first one out of this um, gate that like, just but... does not seem to have much of a kind of renown in any way. <laughs> I think would be fair to say. <laughs> uh, how did you guys think the characters of, of Walter and Anna um, were kind of, to kind of go back to the Roger Ebert quote mm. as to why he didn't like the movie so much as he thinks there's just not enough dedicated to the central relationship to make the whole thing work. Um, what was the kind of uh, impression of the relationship for you guys both in the kind of 
chemistry they had and the, and in the way that both of them approached it. I think obviously Tom Hanks feels like he's got a big shadow to like get rid of. Obviously, he, he's dating someone whose ex is very wealthy, very successful. Um, he's a bit down his luck. His dad left him a load of debt. Um, she doesn't seem to ever bother that, and I think she needs to reassure him quite a lot. I thought it was mm. kind of, I thought it was very relatable, and even like how many years later, it, it's something that you probably can see in most kind of movies or like drama series. Um, yeah, I thought there was enough of them, and it just the, the house just kind of takes their toll. Like everyone says, the most stressful thing in life is moving house. Mm. Probably not. Probably not this much stressful. <laughs> <laughs> Ladle it on a bit more. <laughs> and I think a lot of it is in trust as well. Like, and I think even though like she thinks she slept with him, he shouldn't ask. So I think that the main the main thing is like you, you don't trust me. Mm-hmm. And as you say, it's a very quick. She forgives him. It goes from being really annoyed and him being like, I I, I don't want to leave you anymore and. It feels a bit rushed, doesn't it? Kind of from zero to a hundred. Okay, <laughs> let's get married. Cue <laughs> scene. Yeah. Get Max over. He can conduct. Cue scene. Cue music. Yeah, Boom. yeah. Invite everyone from the movie beforehand. <laughs> How about you, Josh? How did that? Because being the being the one of the three of us that the film didn't work for uh, hmm. the most. Uh, what? Is it that relationship that doesn't quite work for you, or is it? I suppose it's kind else? of symptomatic of the whole thing. That it just there's a, just a flatness to a lot of the. For, I mean, for me anyway. Not to, I don't want to. I hate following up niceness with with negativity, but it, it, there's a, there was a general flatness to me, to the to the to the just to the events as depicted on screen, and the relationship was a was definitely a symptom of that. I I, I kind of I enjoy them as props. Like Tom Hanks is a very good physical comedian who's he's a good prop in these set pieces and yeah Shelley Long um she doesn't get quite as much physical activity to do but she's quite a good reactor to what's going on around her so I quite like them as physical entities but yeah the emotions didn't really do anything for me I didn't really I think because a lot of the time they tended to go back and forth in their perspectives on certain things which I suppose is true to life on the one hand but I couldn't get much of a purchase into them as people and who they were and what they wanted from life, um, it would they would just seem to flip on and off within a scene, and um, yeah. So by the time it comes to the big emotional reconciliation that, that sort of takes up a lot of the final act of the film, I wasn't really on board anymore. I wasn't really on board to begin with, to be honest with you. But yeah, I don't know. <laughs> That's, <laughs> That's fair. It's That's uh, fair. <laughs> unfortunately, I'm sorry to say, it didn't really do an awful lot for me. As much as I appreciate the performance, the performers involved yeah what about you Andy mm-hmm. where do you fall yeah I, I I agree I think Hanks has a great um he's clearly kind of looked to the Buster Keaton mm-hmm. school of how to kind of flap his limbs about to, for comedic effect and um throw himself into the kind of more physical side of it and I agree Shelley Long has this great wild-eyed um reaction to everything and it's their kind of I, their energy in the kind of moments of exasperation and of joy are the moments where I'm most convinced by them as a couple experiencing mm-hmm. something. The actual um, 
everything falling down around them and how they're having to uh, either laugh at it or, or trying to find ways to crack on and deal with it is when I found it the most interesting. And and, and I think it's more, again, it's an eight, it's a very much an 80s movie thing where you they'll have a central romance and it's just there's a lot of weird trimmings around, yeah. around it all that you kind of have yeah. to poke through to see. Um, and I, I, I do wonder if the like this kind of narrative is it, it like might be better played if you keep the but it, it's something that even annoyed me a bit in the Cary Grant original mm. is where you do have this last act tr- love triangle played yeah out. and for me the kind of like uh, message of like th- this sort of movie I feel like you can find a heart in it and having it be about a couple persevering and like the love that they have for each other being the thing that isn't really battered or bruised by the experience and it, neither neither of the tellings of this story kind of go for it they just kind of show how how much it kind of like tear down the base element of trust yeah. which is was a it's like, again it's just more for the kind of screwball to hit a screwball ingredient list one of those key ingredients that most filmmakers look to is love triangle. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. like, and in both cases, I just feel like it's a bit like, ah, yeah, can't need <laughs> oh, this now, this now, because it, it it very much is. You can almost feel the act breaks in in the original Mister Blandings. You have that. You have the bit when they decide to when they begin to renovate the house. Then you have the moment once everything is finished and they're settled in. When he discovers the the cufflinks that lead him to question whether or not his wife is having an affair with the lawyer character, who's their mutual best friend, who was her ex and uh yeah it's much more obviously given it was a code haze code movie so it's very much more implicit in that than it is over here save for a bit of innuendo here and there um but it's still yeah it's still not very convincing is it it's just a weird little arbitrary third act bit of drama injected in yeah um they didn't know how to finish the movie, so just throw that, <laughs> yeah, throw that little yeah. bit, that little bit. In. We haven't built the upstairs. <laughs> <laughs> but then you know, the foundation was good. If that's okay, <laughs> everything else can be fixed. That was a bit cheesy. <laughs> <laughs> I've, forgotten, I've forgotten who said that. I've got the quote down, but I, I didn't attribute attribute it to anybody. Was it the one of the Shirk brothers was... who says that? I think yeah, the, the main the main contract the main yeah. contractor that gives gives them the key and um he's like do you want it do you want it like I'll just put it here like, <laughs> yeah what a play what a play I do one of the not quite reading the room <laughs> yeah <laughs> one of the things that I was a bit bummed out about speaking of the shirks um was that the, we spend most of our time with uh, I think it's Brad Carmine Caridi who I'm not as familiar with the other one is Joe Mantagna who is the voice of Fat Tony in The Simpsons. And who is one of the mm. bumbling crooks in <laughs> Baby's Day Out, which is another one in this classic. vein. Yeah, exactly classic. what that I grew up with that I'm <laughs> stubbornly attached to. And his... Yeah, yeah. <laughs> crazy. Yeah, a very, a very similar kind of shenanigans in Baby's Day Out, especially in the final set piece on the under construction skyscraper. Um, uh, but yeah, I like him, and it's so rare that I see him in things. And I was hoping for more Joe Montana in this. And he's in that one weird scene where he's very sexually aggressive with uh, Shelley Long's character, and uh, and then he goes, and that's that's it for him. He isn't seen again. So was, that's it for yeah. him. Just be a creepy carpenter for a bit and move on. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, that's, li- that's literally it. Just that one scene. Just, just yeah. for him to be yeah. an absolute creep and like, I thought she was going to go hammer a nail. <laughs> <laughs> that that whole beat slightly soured the whole Water and Anna relationship for me as well because he's like a bit too dismissive of yeah. the fact that she has just been sexually harassed by yeah. this creepy carpenter man. That could be the 50... <laughs> could, it's a bit much for that to be the 50... I forgot about... I suppose he does kind of... Of course, he's kind of all over a little bit. I don't know if that like warrants the kind of fifteen certificate. Yeah, I suppose, yeah it, it's another one of those eighties things that speaks to our current social values that we're reassessing a lot of what was deemed acceptable back then. Which now, yeah, you think, um, uh, oh, you know, we we shouldn't take this for granted. We shouldn't just shrug it off. We should listen. Yeah, you do wonder. Another note I had was with Ode Joy being at the wedding. This, of course, marks. Uh, the first time that Alex Gudunov was in a film that uses Ode to Joy, the <laughs> latter being 88's uh, Die Hard, um, which has now made me think if I go through his whole filmography, is Ode to Joy just somewhere. It's in his contract. It's in his contract. Yeah. If, I'm in the, if I'm in the movie, I need this, I need this in. <laughs> Must have Ode to Joy. <laughs> One of the notes that one of the notes that made me laugh, and I can't think why I wrote it down, was reading through them in preparation for this. One of my notes was Hanks collecting water from Water Fountain Boys Willie, which made me giggle when I read it through again. <laughs> <laughs> I can't think why I wrote that down, but um, that's where I was. I like at. his whole banter with the with the peeing statue. Yeah, a good banter with that statue. <laughs> well, if, you, if you like gags about little naked boy water fountain statues that are little naked boys peeing then you're in for a treat with this one not since gold member have i seen such excellent <laughs> <laughs> little statue of prostate issues yeah <laughs> i never understood oh, that boy. bit in gold member where he decides to eat asparagus in order to keep his pee mm. going when asparagus doesn't make you pee, but it's, it makes it pee smell. It's this, isn't it the smell that he's going for? Does he maybe want to mask the... F- Why? Would that not draw attention? <laughs> I, I can't know. remember the details of the beat, so maybe it's, there's something else he's trying to mask. That's a weird <laughs> movie, man. We should do that on our eventual Patreon as well. We'll do the Dundee trilogy, then we'll do the Austin Powers trilogy, and we'll do Wild Wild West as well. This is us. Oh, do not do Wild Wild West. <laughs> do not do... Do not do Wild Wild West. Wild Wild West is absolutely terrible. I couldn't believe, like, as I say, we just did Predator, and um, is it the writer also did? I can't believe the writer of Predator did Wild yeah, Wild the West. Yeah, the Predators did Wild Wild West. Yeah. Like, do not put that on your CV. Like, just do not. <laughs> it's cool. Uh, cool spider there in that film. Cool giant metal spider. <laughs> I saw it at the cinema and I walked away. Did the you, man? Unfortunately, so one of the lucky ones because that was. <laughs> I remember being so I was because I was just the right age what was it 99 98 99 99 Will Smith was hot yeah. you'd watch him in anything that was... obviously Men in Black like yeah off the bat yeah obviously in his contract he has to do the song to the movies oh yeah and um, I missed that of part of the big Willie Summer thing was yeah he does the song tie in for the movie and just yeah what a car crash for a movie <laughs> <laughs> they never explain to you either. Like it still bugs me. I don't. Want, I don't want to rewatch it. Never seen this in my life. They never explain how they get the neck things off. They <laughs> ah, that's done now. They, they oh man, I watched it. I watched it. It's one of my lockdown. All of a sudden, things. they got it and they can't yeah. get it. And then 
lockdown wasn't even that bad. I, don't <laughs> I think there's a, there's I, a, like weren't a drawn to Wild Wild West. There's a throwaway shot of of uh, Kevin Klein's little tool tool belt, I think, and I guess, or is it they go down a waterfall or some shit? I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> Please tell me you prefer know, the money I don't pit. Know who will? <laughs> Please tell me you'd rather watch the money pit. So yeah. Wild Wild West. <laughs> what, what what's better for you, Josh? You have to give your your God's honest answer right now. <laughs> the Money Pit or Wild Wild West? Listen, listen. Wild Wild West. You can I hurt was, Griff's feelings here. I was um, <laughs> su- summer of '99, and this is going to give away our age now. Summer of '99. I was uh, I was six, six going on seven years old. So I was the ripe target audience for Wiki Wawa. and uh, weirdly enough, it was it was rated twelve in the UK. So. All for, you know, as good as the marketing was for it, I couldn't go and see it. I had to wait until it was on VHS. Um, How unlucky were you? But as a result, <laughs> the, the first time I ever watched... I'm so pleased that we're doing this, fellow Griffin, thank you for, uh, for uh, encouraging, <laughs> encouraging this. But when I first watched it on video, I turned off the video cassette, rewound it, and I sat in my thoughts as it rewound. And then I stood up, put it back in its box, walked downstairs, knocked on the door, opened the living room door, and stood in front of my mum and dad and said, Mum, Dad, I have just watched the best film ever made. <laughs> and um, so I think uh, I have a similar relationship with that film as you have with The Money Pit, perhaps. So there's a, as, as much as I watch it and think, oh boy, what was, what was going on with everyone when this movie was being developed? How did this end up as it is now? I still have remnants of that stubborn, stupid, seven-year-old Josh mindset. So... I think to answer your question, if I was going to watch one of them again, it would probably be Wild Wild West. And I'm sorry, Griff. Please do come back on at some point. I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to burn this bridge so early in our relationship. I'll keep an eye out for the Wild Wild West special. I'll keep the I'll keep yeah. an eye out. I can't believe I disallowed this. Andy's going to tell me off when we finish this recording. <laughs> no, no. I'm just. <laughs> I'm. I'm hoping this kind of like this extended period will <laughs> allow you to vent it out of your system but I just know as soon as we get onto Men in Black it's just going to come back oh, <laughs> funny. yeah because we're not going to be able to talk about Men in Black without talking about Wild mm-hmm. Wild West no, <laughs> it's impossible <laughs> yeah yeah, and that's about about that's about a year away. So we may have a Patreon by then, so I can <laughs> I can really push to do on West episodes. Oh, anyway, I've, I've sidetracked. I can't, honest to God, I can't even think how we got on that. Now, how did we get on that? <laughs> you can never ask about where Wawa was came from. Just know that it always ends up here. <laughs> but, Yes, I think I'm. Um, I think I've worked through my my, my money pit notes. <laughs> Was there anything else you wanted to talk about, Griff? No, nah, that's pretty much it. It's a, it's a solid movie, like just to put on the. It's a perfect Sunday afternoon mm-hmm. movie. And uh, say it's not. Yeah. There's films you love that are amazing. There's films you love that aren't great. But you just you just put them in the background and kind of you just it's just it's just a just pleasing. Mm. It's just kind of easy to watch and. Um, Definitely, if you're a Tom Hanks fan, just check it out. Like this yeah. is like where he came, where he came from. Really, I know it's Splash before this, and it just, yeah, this comedy actor went on to be the monster yeah. Oscar winner that he is now. <laughs> and you'd miss out on a, on his good seal laugh. <laughs> <laughs> 
and his reaction uh, uh. and his reaction to falling through a hole being pulled by your <laughs> <laughs> So and the staircase, the staircase collapse seems mm. great, like <laughs> yeah, when the whole bit stumbling, like yeah, that is for me what makes it work is that I think there are some really like genuinely impressive moments of practicality gone into this, and uh, it made me giggle. <laughs> <laughs> and that's and all, all, that I, all I was asking for. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that about digs us out of the money pit. Um, in our next episode, uh, we will be venturing into Don Bluth's 1986 animated musical adventure, An American Tale. And if you don't happen to have the film on disc, not to worry. I'm going to tell you where you can watch it right now. Um, it is available to all of you who have a Prime Video subscription. Otherwise, you can buy or rent from Apple TV, Amazon, Chile, Google Play, Sky Store and YouTube, or you can purchase the film from Microsoft Store. So somewhere out there, you can find an American <laughs> tale. <laughs> I, pr- I, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Yeah. I appreciate well that. <laughs> Thank you. I'm thinking now. There's definitely going to be a way for me to crowbar in a a Wild Wild West mention in the American Tale episode for sure. Not until Fivel not until Fivel goes west. Not until Fivel goes west. Fivel goes wild wild west. I love Fivel goes west, but I really think it could be improved with a giant metal spider. Are you are you notorious producer? Oh, what's his name? John John Peters. Yeah. Uh, if you've got any thoughts on an American tale or indeed Wild Wild West, please at us at Ramblin' Amblin or email us at ramblinaboutamblin.co.uk. Uh, likewise, uh, give us a like, give us a review, subscribe to us on whatever uh, provider you use for your podcasts. All those lovely things and more. Um, all that's left to say is uh, thank you very much for joining us, Griff. And... Uh, oh, I, I, I very much enjoyed digging up the money pit with you. And uh, where can the good rambling listeners uh, find you and the Paul and Griff podcast, should they be so inclined? Uh, they can find us on Twitter at Paul and Griff Show, on Instagram, Paul and Griff Show. Long story of why the names are different. <laughs> Twitter just didn't want to do as many characters. Right. Um, we're on Facebook. Um, anywhere you listen to podcasts, Paul and Griff Show. We're just like this, just. We just chat movies, just two friends. Um, easy listen, hopefully. And um, yeah, thank you for having me, guys. It's been a real pleasure, Griff. Yeah, absolutely really nice. pleasure, man. Look forward to seeing what the new exciting developments are with the show as well. Yeah. I'll definitely keep my eyes peeled for what that is. Thank you very much. All will be revealed soon. <laughs> and okay, I think the last thing is to say uh, thank you, dear listener, for listening once again to Ramblin' and Amblin' podcast. Uh, we look forward to inviting you back for the next episode on Don Bluth's An American Tale. Until then, take care, be excellent to each other, and uh, don't go falling down any pits. <laughs> <laughs> See you next time. <laughs> that was more Jimmy Carl, wasn't it, than, uh, than Tom Hanks? <laughs> that was a Jimmy Carl. <laughs> 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 I'm definitely going to leave this at the end. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> Wiki wah wah.
Until next time.